Late Night City, Beyond the Dark. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we're always looking for unusual books. This one really is an unusual book. It's called Beatles, Myths and Legends, and it's by Neil Nixon. Hello, Neil. How are you, Pete? I've got to ask a question. Why would you write a book like this? Um, well, because it was, well, to put it crudely, because I wanted to read it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it was it's something that I've been interested in for a long, long time. I'm a music obsessive, and I've also been involved in kind of, you know, esoteric and sort of paranormal research over the years. And uh, this is basically a collision between the greatest band that ever was and, and urban legends and the strange things that people believe. And I knew quite a bit about it. I mean, obviously, some of the stories, the thing about John Lennon being assassinated rather than murdered and uh, Paul McCartney dying in the mid-1960s are fairly well known. But I was aware of a few others, and I thought I'd just go and dig out an entire book's worth. And... Uh, it just well, once I got going on it, it wasn't like work at all. It was great. So, what do you do for a living? Are you a writer professionally? Uh, it's a, a number of things. The nearest thing I've got to a full-time job is that I run a foundation degree in professional writing. So, I actually teach other people to write for a living, and I'm based in Dartford, in uh, North Kent College in Dartford. But it's a university course. Um, but I've been writing since I was a student. So, I've done writing and creative work basically since I was a teenager, right the way through, and. Uh, I won't bore you with all the ins and outs, but along the way, it's included some Beatle-related stuff. I wrote a, a radio play that got nominated for a Sony Award beginning of this century about a kind of alternative world if John Lennon hadn't died, you know, how he'd have ended the century, basically. Um, so, you know, I've, I've always sort of worked with those kind of ideas, and, uh, and I've kept writing, and this is the 25th book, so I've, you know, I've got a bit of practice now. 25 books? Yes. Well, before we talk about Beatles, myths and legends, give us a flavour of some of the books. Oh, well, they're all over the place. I mean, my, my obsession with Carlisle United has, has accounted for a few of them. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I, I've been involved in sort of alternative humour and stuff over the years, so that's a couple of novels and, and one or two other bits and pieces. And uh, most recently, again, I'm a bit of a music obsessive, so the one that pre preceded this is uh, is one called 500 albums you won't believe until you hear them which uh, which is just sort of chronicling kind of you know unheralded masterpieces and things that are just so bizarre that you wonder why anybody bothered to record them in the first place uh, so yes I'm, I'm on a bit of a journey here and, and beatles myths and legends is only just part of it uh, in fact the one that follows it is another music book as well I'm, book number 26 is almost done it's just in the finishing processes now well let, let me give you the next book after that then let me give you a stranger to a stranger i want you to write why do we have to watch the eurovision song competition <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> i'll give it a go but i think uh I'm not a huge fan, to be brutally no, honest. No, nor am I. That's why I'm saying write the book. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a book of pictures of people just breaking oh, down right. in, the, in the face <laughs> of it. <laughs> right, let's get back to your new book. Now, people will know um, that I've been doing this phone in for an awful long time and I'm, I am anti-conspiracy theorist, so I've got to tell you that before we start. I'm a good man, so am I. <laughs> right. Now, I know the Beatles. I know a couple of them personally. So the one in particular I know is Paul McCartney. So this right. whole myth about him being killed, I find incredibly hard to even think about. Well, yeah, let, let, let's be clear. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not necessarily uh, against all conspiracy theories, but with regard to this, I'm not claiming for one second that any of the major stories in here are true. Um, and so in that, in that sense... 
what this is, it's, it's an exploration of the kind of imaginative genius of fandom, but it also takes account of the fact that some of the imaginative genius of fandom strays into kind of paranoid conspiracies, and um, some of the people who would peddle this stuff are not necessarily dealing from a full deck. Um, and so in that sense, I'm with you. I mean, what I'm exploring is, if you like, why these stories came about, the kind of intriguing nonsense of some of them, which are very, very entertaining. So uh, I, I don't believe for one second that Mr. McCartney either probably... I, I don't think that story has been good for his life in general. Uh, I mean, I, I think he's had a love-hate thing with it. And uh, I know he's had some fun with it, hasn't he? Because on the cover of his live album, Paul is Alive, he's back on the Abbey Road uh, zebra crossing mm. and there's even a joke at the expense of the original number plate on the abbey road cover because uh, when he when he's he made that album when he was 51 and there's a there's a number plate next to him on the um, on the live album which says 51 is <laughs> <laughs> well um, i'm de- i'm so glad you said that because now i can have a sensible conversation with you because you- <laughs> i was starting to think this is going to go in a different direction for me no, 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 not at all. In fact, with regard, so if you are personally acquainted with Ringo Starr, number one, I'm really, really jealous because I'd love to meet Ringo. Uh, and, and number two, one of the things I would point out is that in the book, um, I have a real go at some of the sort of ideas about Ringo because I think the biggest myth about Ringo is completely misguided, which is that a lot of people reckon he was lucky to join the Beatles. And uh, the the closer you look at that, the more you realise that actually they made a very, very smart decision when they went to tap him up at Butlins. Right. I'll ask you about that. Before I ask you, I'll tell you where I stand on that. Go on. I'm of the age I was there. So I grew up with the Beatles. I was there outside the cavern. I was one of the people protesting when Pete Best Best was... Well, I'm 70, so I've been around a long time. And I was one of the people protesting when uh, Pete Best was sacked. And we thought it was the biggest mistake ever. And I wasn't a Ringo fan. I wasn't a Ringo fan at all. I thought Pete Best had charm and talent and the girls loved him. There was more to that than meets the eye. Okay, Right, well... uh... I, I found a few minor myths about Ringo. So there's, there's one, again, it's kind of engaging nonsense other than that there's a dark side to it, which is that, that there's, a, there's a handful of people who refuse to believe that Ringo is not Jewish. Um, and that's, that's got a dark side because in 1964 they actually got a death threat, an anti-Semitic death threat when they were in Toronto. And he played a gig very badly because he had his cymbals up very high and he was crouched over the kit and there was a security guy next to him. And what's really horrible about that is that the person who actually took the anti-Semitic death threat call was Brian Epstein. So I can't, you know, insult added to injury. But um, with regard to Ringo, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying there, but I would argue that without him... Uh, they might have been a different band because the thing that he brought to them, which they couldn't possibly have foreseen, was that when they started making movies, he is by far the most natural actor in the Beatles. Now, obviously, Pete Best's ability in that direction was never tested, so I don't know. But uh, if you think going back that far, when they broke out of Liverpool and they went to America, although they were playing gigs to an absolutely rapturous reception, they still were in the same situation that most people had been up to that point, which is that from George Formby via Elvis to Cliff Richard, when they needed to tour the brand big time, they often put it on screen. And from uh, a hard day's night onwards, I would argue that Ringo's ability to act was very was central to 
both their developing a worldwide appeal and secondly because he's quite a distinct character against all the others he was particularly in america he was the one who got the mums on side and got and but made them a, a a worldwide phenomenon because they appealed outside of the kind of teenage B group market at the time. At least that's my argument anyway. Interesting. Uh, interesting what you say about uh, the Jewish thing. I've just recently interviewed Billy J. Kramer and mm-hmm. in his new book, when he went with Brian Epstein uh, and took him over his management, the, the thing that shocked him was when people said, well, how could you work for him? He's a Jew. Now that is alien to me. And of course I'd forgotten that was around in those days. Mm. Well, it's never totally gone away, but it, it, it's... I mean, there, there is a funny side with the Ringo thing, because I, I found a website called Jew or Not Jew, where basically it's discussed whether people are Jewish. And the, the website regretfully announces that Ringo Starr isn't Jewish, uh, but they, they sort of put a little aside, it, saying it's a shame, because we'd love to claim him as one of ours. Um, you know, so in, they're in love with Ringo as well, although um, Barbara Back, his wife, is half Jewish, isn't she? But... Uh, that that kind of that that belief with him has never gone away. I'm I'm not aware he suffers any kind of threat for it now. But it's you know the the kind of prejudice with that is well yeah I'm totally with you. I mean you know. How did you construct this book? It's an interesting book uh, for those people that have just joined me. Um, this is Neil uh, Nixon. He's written a book called Beatles Myth and Legends. It's interesting. It's five chapters. How did you construct it? Well, pretty much as you'd expect. So the Beatles line up John, Paul, George and Ringo in that order. And, and we, we, we line up the, the sort of best-known myths or conspiracy theories or something around each one of them. And because there were three that were fairly obvious, they, they and, you know, so I, I, I do what you'd expect with John and Paul. I look at all the, the actual facts of the conspiracy theory, what's being published about it, and anything that's kind of alive online or any interesting diversions. So, and, and I found little bits and pieces in both of them. So, for example, with Paul McCartney, the, um, I'm, I'm assuming Paul, if you know Paul, he's, he's well aware of this, but um, one of the reasons that people believe that he had a car crash was that his distinctive Mini Cooper actually was involved in an accident in 1967, mm-hmm. uh, but he wasn't driving it. Uh, but the guy driving it, and what are the chances? The guy driving it bore a bit of a resemblance to him and was somebody that was known to him and actually was so similar to him that from a distance people mistook him for Paul. And um, this was a guy called Mohammed Hajij who was a friend of, uh, like a, a, a gallery owner who was part of the kind of social scene that Paul McCartney hung out with. But uh, when he got out of taxis outside of Paul McCartney's house and fans were there for a brief second, some of them were fooled. So, you know, I've I've dug these bits and pieces yeah. up. Um, I mean, the, the one, the amazing story for me, the, the one that kind of proves that these things are conspiracies, is that there's a that there was a story about George that appeared briefly in the music press in the mid-1970s. I mean, if you're of an age that you were still following their careers then, then you probably remember it. But a, a, a woman in America who was obsessive, to say the least, announced to the world that George had died in 1974 and been replaced by an imposter. Um... And I, I looked into that one years ago. I wrote it up for a magazine. And the weird thing about that is that it never really took off because there was no particular need for it among the fans or anything. But what it proves is that people make this stuff up because when you actually look at the lyrics and the album covers and stuff, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that you could read into it. But the fact that nobody's ever done it kind of proves that really it's people who make these because, you know, if, if, 
if the coincidences lined up and they were always going to turn into proper well-believed stories, then actually the George one would be as popular as the others. Because, I mean, apart from anything else, it, it, if you follow that story through to sort of all, all, the, all the different clues, then the last album the real George made is Living in the Material World, which even has a gatefold sleeve that looks like Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, like he's on his way somewhere. And the first album made by the imposter is Dark Horse, which has a title track that basically says, I'm not who you think I am. Um, so it is a bit bizarre, and I, I lined it all up like that. And then the the last chapter is just looking at all the music that the Beatles didn't make, but people claim is there. So you know the the, the the basic belief that they never really split up in 1970 and were recording under covert names and releasing entire albums of stuff under covert names for about ten years after that. Have you got any of the albums? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the first Clark II album, definitely, I've got that. And it's, there's no, I mean, look, there's no way on earth it's the Beatles. Some of them, you know, obviously there are one or two things where you can see why people believed it. Um, there's an album, some, some of the spoof records, for example, there's an album by a band called The Masked Marauders, which we don't need to go into in a lot of detail. People could Google it, but it's a joke of an album. It's a bunch of session musicians making out it's a superstar jam. So anybody that you would want to be yeah. there in the late 60s is there, Bob Dylan, The Beatles. But there's a version of uh, Season of the Witch on that album where it's quite a clever fake because they claim that Paul McCartney's playing on it, but they don't claim he's singing, so you don't listen for his voice. You just hear for his distinctive bass playing. And it's actually, <laughs> you know, that, that, that is quite a, uh, quite a good you know, facsimile because it sort of takes his style on. Uh, and some of these, I mean, they're an amusing listen, and I've got a radio show that plays sort of weird and wonderful stuff, and I've, I've inflicted a bit of this on my listeners over the years. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining nonsense at least. Interesting. Who have you aimed this book at? I know anybody can read it, but who have you aimed it at somebody? Um, you'd probably be, you'd better be asking the publishers that, but yes, I mean, it's... Uh, I, the, the main reason I wrote this one, to be brutally honest, is, is because I would have wanted to read it, and so it's that sort of thing. So I'm aiming it at people who are music obsessives like me, but... Um, We've been a bit surprised. I mean, the, the, the main market for this is America because America can't get enough of the Beatles. And if you can write an entire book about the Beatles taking an angle that's not previously been covered, then obviously you've got a chance of selling a few books simply on, on the basis that Beatles fans just can't get enough. Um, I didn't, we didn't really aim it at the British market, but the strange thing is I've picked up loads of radio interviews over here and there seems to be quite a lot of interest in it. But it's Beatles fans and anybody who's obsessive about music trivia, basically. You do know that Paul will know about this book, don't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he knows about everything to do with the Beatles. He yeah. has an office that watches everything that goes on. Well, great. I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not claiming that the only worry I'd ever have about Paul knowing about any of this stuff is that I'm guessing that with the Paul is dead thing, he must have a love-hate relationship with it because mm -hmm. the, the fact that people have written entire books about it and it won't go away on the internet must just be a complete frustration he could probably do without it. On the other hand, I'm on his side in the sense of saying, well, we can understand where this story came from and there are all sorts of bits and pieces to do with it that when you line them up do make sense. Um, so I'm not, I'm not trying to make his life any worse, or Ringo's life any worse for that matter. If uh, they were alive, all of them, and if they were together, you as a music buff, what would you feel they would be doing right now? Would they be um, the biggest in the world? Yeah, I, I think, I, I think if they, if 
John had survived into the 80s. It's interesting. I, I think there might have been a chance of a reunion, possibly because, apart from anything else, they would have had to do it because Bob Geldof would have been camped in their garden <laughs> ahead of Live Aid. I mean, there would have been there would have been no better way to end Live Aid than all four of them on stage together in London, frankly. Um, I, I think probably that he gravitated together. That's, that's maybe just a, a kind of, you know, it's something we'd all want to believe. But I think as they got older and mellowed, they'd probably have found reasons to get together. And in a way, they split up too soon because like a lot of bands they was so much talent there they fractured but most bands these days manage themselves to have the solo careers and the diversions and to keep coming back you know sporadically so i'd i'd love to have seen things that would have been wonderful would have been mtv unplugged by the beatles that would have been awesome because they could have done that brilliantly and they would have put some of the solo stuff in um, I think they probably would have done some tours which would have been, you know, they, they would have actually gone with the amplification and the, the kind of quality of stuff on stage that they never, ever had as a band, which, again, would have been just brilliant. And I think probably sporadic albums, you know, they, they'd have been, these days, they might have been as prolific as, well, more prolific than the Rolling Stones. They might have been as prolific as somebody like ZZ Top, where every album was worth doing and even if they weren't all going to change the world you would never let the quality drop i mean I, I, you know i could bang on about this forever but, no, but you really are a music puff aren't you, you yeah really i am are. and i mean one thing that indicates that is that none of the talents really burned out george harrison made a great record towards the end of his life but he was working quite sporadically at that point and yeah you know, to this in the 21st century, the most productive Beatle is Ringo, and he's hugely underestimated as a solo artist. He's not changing the world, but there's a sincerity and warmth about his work that, you know, most musicians at 75 could just go out there and, and just do the odd greatest hits or just give up. And, you know, Ringo's still a, Ringo still has things to say, so if they'd all still been alive, that would have been driving it. Interesting you say that. He's not loved in Liverpool anymore. Um, he said a few things that have upset a lot of people. Well, yeah, but... It, I, 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 You'll never change them. You'll never change them. So no, don't no, even try. No, but but, but uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that Liverpool should live him. I'm simply making the point that as a 75-year-old bloke, he's had a very interesting life. He's learned a lot in his life. He's got things to say. And most musicians... I mean, for starters, the running joke amongst musicians is that drummers are just an add-on. He's not. <laughs> Uh, and, and secondly, most musicians aged 75 would not want to go on writing new songs and making new records, but he's he's produced some pretty good stuff in the 21st century with no financial need or artistic need to do so. So, um, you know, if, if people are going to be artists, then they're going to offend people every once in a while. You know, that, um, you know, apart from anything else, that you just leave your fans behind if you if you take a different direction, and, and I know what you mean about Ringo because it's it's almost like he's you know he's taken another place, hasn't he? He's forgotten some of his roots there. But uh, and Liverpool people don't like that. I'll tell you my connection with the Beatles now. Um, one, I have uh, Paul McCartney's stepmother on my show once a week, talking right. live from America with uh, his sister who he adopted, and also I was the first person ever. Uh, to raise money, and I built the first ever Beatles statue. Oh, really? Do you know what? I didn't realise that. Yep, I built the... I was sitting on an island in the Seychelles working. I wrote to the Liverpool Echo, said, isn't it time we had a statue or something to 
tribute to the Beatles. Long story short, came back, the world had gone mad. Everybody was saying we should have a museum, we should have this, should that. I got fed up with it. I got an artist called Arthur Dooley who sadly passed away. I raised the money, we commissioned the piece, the piece was put across the road from the cavern and it's the mother with the five Beatles, uh, well the four Beatles and one flying away and that was mine. Yeah, I, 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 no, I, I know, I've seen photographs of the Arthur Dooley statue. And that was me, of, all down to me. Wow, respect for that, Pete. I, um, I, 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 when I was a kid, I met Arthur Dooley. And, oh, uh, it wasn't he? <laughs> no nonsense man. <laughs> yeah, well, because but, but he, he was a welder who became a sculptor. Yep. So he, he yep. was, yeah, so number one, he had the craftsman-like skills. Number two, Liverpool presumably loved him to the day he died in because he didn't do what you've just accused Ringo of doing. <laughs> well, he certainly didn't, and uh, he would charge you whatever, considering whether you had money or not, and he would burn the money sometimes. He was, he was one of life's characters, but that statue is all down to me, completely and utterly. And... When Arthur did, or maybe... No, I think I remember this actually. Accurately. I'm sure it was him. When This Is Your Life doorstepped him and he turned up on This Is Your Life. He most turned it down, didn't would, he? Yeah. But no, no, he didn't. But, oh, but didn't he? The, the first thing he said was, you're kidding, as in, are you serious about me? You know, um, where, where, where most of your showbiz lovies would be like, well, what took you so long? And they'll make out like they're surprised. But Arthur Dooley was genuinely surprised and actually said, like, you're kidding, as in, you know, how did a welder get onto This Is Your Life? But you amaze me. I never, ever knew he did This Is Your Life. Yeah. You've absolutely amazed me. It might that. be on YouTube. I wouldn't know. Oh, but I it, shall it, certainly it, have a look yeah. for that. Yeah. Are you pleased with the book? Yeah, I'm, I'm a pleased because it was it wasn't like work doing it, and that's always a good thing. And when 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 it feels like that, they tend to read better anyway. But then you know, I'm, I would say that on your show, wouldn't I? But um, and and I'm pleased because it seems to be getting it, it, it's just getting random interest. You know that I've. Um, I've had a lot of radio interviews, way more than we expected. I've talked to a lot of interesting people, and by and large, people seem to have an opinion about it as well. So it's it's getting it's getting a reaction. So yes, absolutely. The book's called Beatles Myths and Legends, and you are Neil Nixon. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Pete. Cheers. Go well.